And uh, Matthew chapter 28, first uh, 10 verses. Uh, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Let's have a word of prayer before we um, think about those verses. Father, thank you for your words to us, your words inspired by you, living and active. Uh, your, Your word says of itself, it's sharper than a double edged sword. It speaks into our hearts and our minds. And Holy Spirit, would you speak into our hearts and minds this morning? Would our Hearts and minds be open and attentive to you if we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you remember things that your mum said to you when you were growing up that have stayed with you. Uh, but one of the things my mum was always saying to me when I was a kid was familiarity breeds contempt. Uh, that when you get too familiar with things, you, you kind of treat them lightly. And one of the problems with the Easter story is we are so familiar with it. We know the story. We've heard it. We know it inside and out. And so it's kind of... Um, Always like water off a duck's back when we, when we hear it again. It sort of goes in one ear and out the other because we're so familiar with it. And we forget that when these women turned up on that first day, uh, they didn't know what we knew. They were going to a tomb. They were going to mourn. They were going to grieve. The last thing any of the people around Jesus at the time expected to find was an empty tomb. That they just didn't understand it, Jesus had tried to explain. But they went to the tomb in order to grieve, because that was the only thing that they could think to do. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever lost anything really, really precious, what do you do? You kind of, you go back to the last place you knew that you had it. You know, if you lose something valuable and you don't know what you think, well, I've, I'll just go back to where I think I left it. And you keep going back, even though you know that it's not there anymore, because that's the last place you saw it. It's the same with people that we, you know, that we love. You know, I've, I've lost both my, you know, my dad died when I was a baby. My mum died years and years ago. I can take you, like we were saying, you know, come and see, come and see these things. I said, well, come and see where my parents are buried. They're in a little village just outside Leicester, just east of Leicester, a little village called Tugby. And when I'm up in Leicester, if I'm not too far away, I go and visit their grave because that's, that's kind of where they, where they are. And I sit by the grave and I have a few moments and I just say thank you to God for them. And, uh, and I forgive them for lots of stuff, but then we won't go into that. And, uh, you know, I, but that's where I go. I go to the grave because that's where I can remember them. And that's what Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, I bet she's a bit peeved with just being recorded for, you know, 
forever as the other Mary. It's like, was I not that important? But anyway, they go and they're expecting to mourn. They're going to, they're going to grieve. They're going to a tomb. And then suddenly things don't turn out quite as they expect. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, here's an interesting question. Why was the stone rolled away from the tomb? Why was the stone rolled away from the tomb? Because it was empty. For whose benefit was the stone rolled away from the tomb? Was the stone rolled away from the tomb so that Jesus could get out? No. No. Jesus has already left. If we read the text carefully, Jesus is long gone. He goes while the stone is still in place. The reason the stone is rolled away is so that we can look in through the eyes of Mary. Uh, By the time the stone is rolled away, Jesus isn't there anymore. He's gone, which tells us something about his, his new nature which we'll think about in a a, a bit later. He's gone. The stone is rolled away so that we can look in and see an empty tomb. Only Mary, the Marys, when they look in, they don't see an empty tomb. Why don't they see an empty tomb? What's still in the tomb? It's not empty. His grave clothes. He's left his grave clothes behind, which tells us something significant. It tells us that his body hasn't been stolen. It tells us that his body hasn't been stolen. I've, um, I won't go into detail, but I had a misspent youth. And uh, during that misspent youth, I would occasionally take things that were not mine. And it's hard to believe, isn't it? He looks so angelic. <laughs> I know. I have pictures of me as a child. I look like an angel. I got, but anyway, I wasn't an angel. Anyway. So when I, in that season of my life, which I'm not proud of, but in that season of life, when I took things that weren't mine, if I was going to take something, I wanted to take it and get away with it as fast as possible. You know, if, if there's, if, you know, if, if, there, if you see a handbag, um, this is not advice, I'm just saying, if you see a handbag sitting next to somebody in a restaurant and you think, oh, there might be things in that handbag I like, you don't kind of sit next to the handbag and kind of empty it out next to the person whose it is and like, oh, well, I don't like that colour lipstick, I'll put that bag, and, uh, but I like the wallet and I'll, you know, No, you grab the handbag and you run. And then when you're in a safe place, then you empty it out and you kind of go through it. So if someone was going to nick Jesus' body, they wouldn't have gone to all the time and trouble of unwrapping his body. Because remember, it's been embalmed in 75 pounds of really sticky, gooey, gluey ointment and wrapped in linen. You know, this shroud is, you know, they, they buried him. They really buried him because they weren't ever expecting to see him again. They didn't just lay a sheet over and wait outside thinking he's going to come back. They wrap him up good and proper. So if you're a thief, you're not going to bother taking all that. You're just going to grab that body and run. What are you going to do with it afterwards? I have no idea. But anyway, there's obviously a market for stolen bodies. It's not Nick because he leaves behind his grave clothes. Now that's what Easter is all about. It's all about leaving behind our grave clothes. We sang a um, a hymn uh, the other day, and one of the lines is in the hymn, uh, one in himself, I cannot die. One in himself, I cannot die. Uh, I became a Christian when I was 17 years old, and since that day, the 23rd of January, 1982, if I walk out and get run over by a bus, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. I'm going to live forever. Because Jesus left his grave clothes behind. 
And that means we can leave our grave clothes behind as well when we put our trust in him. The stone is rolled away, not for his benefit. He's already left. It's for our benefit so that we can see in and see that he's gone, but he left his grave clothes behind. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you. So they're going away and suddenly they meet Jesus. They meet him. What does that tell us about Jesus? It means they recognise him. He still looks like the person that they knew before he was crucified. And he's physical. They clasped his feet and worshipped him. They clasped his feet. They were able to hold on to him. He was physical. But he left the tomb while the stone was still in place. So how did he get out of the tomb if he was still physical but the stone was still in place? Has he become like a little mouse? And he like, there was like a tiny little hole, a little crack, and he like squeezed himself through. No, he hasn't become a mouse. He's still fully human, but he's more fully human than he ever was before because he's not just raised from the dead. This is the thing about Jesus' resurrection. He's not just died and then come back to life. He's not like Lazarus. Lazarus died, was raised, and then died again. Jesus was resurrected. So he had a physical form that they could recognise, that they could hold on to, but he walked out of the tomb while it was still sealed. And later on, on that very same day when the disciples were gathered together, terrified, thinking they were about to be arrested and executed in a locked room, Jesus walks in and says, don't be afraid, as you would be if someone walked in through a locked door. He says, peace, be with you, see, Jesus isn't just raised, he's, he's resurrected. And that's why they worship him, because they're confused and they're afraid and they really understand what's going on. They're just, they're just seeing what they see and trying to make sense of it. But what they begin to understand is God has done something very profound. Now, how can we believe all of this stuff? It seems so incredible. An earthquake an angel rolling a stone away, Jesus leaving the tomb. While it's, how can we believe this? Well, we can believe it because of the witnesses. Because the two witnesses, and all the Gospels agree that the witnesses were women. Now, ladies, I'm really sorry. But 2,000 years ago, if someone was writing a tale that they wanted people to believe, you wouldn't have been in it. You wouldn't have been the first witnesses. Because 2,000 years ago, ladies, you had no legal standing And you were unreliable witnesses. In fact, you couldn't be a witness in a court of law. You were unreliable witnesses. So if if the Christians were trying to invent a story about the resurrection, the last people they would have had as the first people on the scene were women. They would have picked reliable witnesses. They would have picked Luke. He's a doctor. He's got a profession. People will believe him. They would have picked Nicodemus. He was a leader in the, amongst the Jews. They would have picked someone like that. They would definitely have picked men or they would have picked Peter, the leader of the... They wouldn't have picked women. In fact, did you notice in those verses that I read from 1 Corinthians 15, already in the early church, the church has realised, this is slightly embarrassing, that the first witnesses are women. So already in the early church, the women have been airbrushed out. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 6, um, no, verse 5 or 4. I'll find it in a minute. Don't panic. <laughs> okay, it's one of the verses. Pick a number between 1 and 10. Here we go. Uh, he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. 
Where have the women gone? Where have the women gone? They've gone already. Why have they gone already? Because the culture realises women are unreliable witnesses. But the Gospels have women as the first witnesses. Why? Because that's what happens. Because they were the first ones on the scene. And this is what they experienced. And this is what they told others. And this is what they wrote down. So when we read this stuff, we can have confidence that this is it's history. It happened. Jesus left the tomb. The tomb is empty. What does it mean? It means that death is dead. It means that sin has been dealt with. Sin which prevents us having a relationship with the God who loves us. Sin which cuts us off. Remember again, uh, Paul writing in Corinthians, he says, this is a real problem if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. Because if Christ has not been raised, you're still, you're still in your sins. You're still cut off from the one being who loves you more than anybody else. You're cut off from him. Sins have been forgiven. This is why today is so exciting, because I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. I love getting older. I love getting older. And today I am a year older than I was yesterday or the day before. I love getting older because every day I'm getting nearer to going to be with Jesus. You know, I love this life. I'm not looking for early dispatch. Don't get any ideas. I'm just saying, if I get run over by a bus... Yes, I'm going to be with Jesus. That's what I'm most excited about. I love getting older. I love the fact that when I mess up, which I do frequently, I can be forgiven. I don't have to carry guilt and shame around with me like a, like a weight, wondering what to do with it. I can be forgiven. Death is dead. Sins are forgiven. I'm in relationship with a God who loves me. That's what today is all about. That's what these women discovered. That's why they went and told other people. That's why we're here 2,000 years on, because every single day people are discovering that it's still true. But if it's true, what do we do about it? Let me just finish with a, with a story. I've probably um, told you this story before, but I, I love it because it just illustrates when you, when you understand that something is true, you then got to decide what to do about it. And in uh, 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 the Gospel of John, this very famous verse, 3.16, John says, um, God so loved the world. Remember, everything that God does for us and towards us and about us is motivated by love. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only son, the most precious thing he had to give, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's why we keep telling people about the good news of Jesus, because those are the two options open to us as human beings, to perish or to have eternal life. Now, many years ago, I heard the true story of a mountain climber who was setting off with a friend, just the two of them, to climb a mountain. And they were climbing the sheer face of a mountain. It was really, really steep. There were very tiny little handholds, and the two of them were climbing this mountain. And partway up the sheer mountain face, they found a little rocky outcrop, and it was just big enough for the two of them to sit on and to rest and be British uh, they had a brew and they had a nice cup of tea and uh, refreshed themselves. And, uh, and then at once they were refreshed, they decided to continue the climb up the rest of the mountain. And so they begin the climb and the guy who was telling the story, he came to my school and gave a lecture about it. He stood on this little rocky outcrop and he stood there looking up the mountain as his friend started to make the ascent. And his friend is tied to him with a rope. So the guy on the rock is looking up, watching his friend climb, 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 20 metres, 30 metres. And then he watches as his friend loses his grip and starts to fall. And he starts to fall faster and faster and there's nothing to hang on to. And the guy standing on the rock looks up 
And he realises a number of things very, very quickly. The first thing that he realises is that his friend is not going to land on the little rocky outcrop that he's standing on because it's too small. He realises that his friend is going to fly past him and plunge to his death. And then he remembers he's tied to his friend with a rope. So wherever his friend goes, he's going too. So his friend is going to plunge to his death and he's going to plunge to his death unless he can think of something to do very, very quickly. And he realises that the only thing that he can possibly do that might save both their lives is to guess which side of this little little rocky outcrop his friend is going to fall and jump off the other side into thin air. In the hope that the rope that is tied between them will snag over the top of the little rocky outcrop that they've just been sat on and they will swing in underneath and it will break both their fall and they will both live. And uh, by virtue of the fact that he was at my school giving the story, you can tell that he guessed the right way, but that was what he did. He thought, he's going that way, I'll jump this way into thin air. And there was a moment of, I guess, when everything stood still and he was hoping he'd jump the right way. And he had. Now, the point of the story is this. As he stood on that rocky outcrop looking up, if he'd made no decision at all, he would have died because his friend would have flown past him and pulled him off. If he'd guessed the wrong way and if he jumped left and his friend was falling left, they'd both have fallen to their death and Perish. So if he'd done nothing, he would have perished. If he made the wrong decision, he would have perished. But there was a choice that he could make that would lead to life. And he jumped the right way. And on this day, on this Easter day, Jesus gives us an invitation. He opens a door for us and he invites us into new life. But the reality of the gospel is, is good news because against it there's bad news. And the bad news is we are separated from God because of our falling short of his glory he's holy and we're not and we need to do something about that and God in his love has done something about that on our behalf for us so Jesus says look I'm I'm offering the most wonderful gift that you could ever have and it's but I won't force it upon you I'll offer it as a gift because I don't want to force you into relationship with me I want to invite you but realize that if you make no choice at all you will perish but if you make the wrong choice you will perish but you can choose life. That's why today is so exciting. That's why I spent the last 40 years of my life trying to tell people about the good news of Jesus. Because it is good news. It's the most amazing news. And his invitation for us this morning is to choose life. So I'm going to pray. And, uh, and then we're going to sing again. And then we're going to come to communion. When we come to communion, this is, this is what made it all possible. Jesus' death on the cross. He died in our place for us. And the, and the invitation this morning is... To, make, to accept his invitation to come to him. And if you want to respond to Christ this morning, if you want to say, yes, Jesus, I realise you died for me because I needed a saviour and I want to come to you this morning, then when we come, I just invite you to come. It's his table, it's his invitation. If it's in your heart, even if you don't know much about him, but you just, you want to come and say, Jesus, I don't really know who you are, but this sounds like good news. I'd like some of that then come but let's pray let's pray for a moment father thank you so much for this amazing day this day of resurrection this day when death is dead sins are forgiven the barrier that separated us from your love is gone it's gone we don't have to work hard we don't have to strive we don't have to pretend that we're better than we are because you know exactly what we're like and still you love us and you accept us just as we are and you love us so much you don't leave us as we are So Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for dying in my place, paying a penalty on my behalf. 
Thank you for rising to new life. Thank you that you love me. Jesus, come into my life today. Forgive me for my sins. Fill me with your new life. Help me to live for you now and forever. Holy Spirit, would you move amongst us this morning, move in our hearts and minds. Show us the Father's love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.